We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day. Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined as always by Darius. Before we get started, a little bit of housekeeping. We're going to have a couple ad reads in the middle of the show today, so do not want you, haven't had those in a while, don't want you to be alarmed or wondering what the heck is going on. Uh, so I'll, I'll be reading those about halfway through. Today we got some news on LeBron. The Lakers have always been kind of purposefully vague with injuries unless surgery is involved. You know, when Rondo breaks his hand, they say immediately he's going to be out four or five weeks. When LeBron strains his groin, it doesn't require any operation necessarily. They say he's going to be day-to-day, although it was pretty obvious that day-to-day was going to be a, a few weeks. We got a couple of points of information, one from the team and one from Rich Paul today with a little more info. LeBron is not traveling with the team on the two-game road trip coming up, but he will be returning to practice next week. In a piece today from Sam Amick at The Athletic, he talked to Rich Paul, and Rich Paul said that it was they were told it was going to be a three- to six-week timeline or so. And we're at the three-week mark, and LeBron has really progressed, but if he re-injures it, it has a chance of being more severe if they don't wait a little bit more. So they don't want to rush anything, So he's going to be out for a little bit longer. It's still ambiguous, but we have a little more clarity on what's going on. Darius, what's your reaction to kind of the news that we got today? So the Lakers being purposely vague at the beginning, it was just another little thing that rubbed me wrong. And I say that coming off of the issues that specifically surrounding like Lonto Ball's knee last season, where if you remember, Lonto Ball was also sort of day-to-day to to be reevaluated in X amount of time. I much prefer the straightforward timeline reporting 
or disclosure of information from teams. So in the Sam Amick piece that you referenced, Rich Paul basically said that we were told at the beginning that this was a three to six week injury. Three weeks is sort of the best case scenario, six weeks within the context of how severe LeBron's injury was, six weeks was, I guess, like the worst case. And that we're at the three week mark now, it would have been perfectly fine, I think, if the Lakers would have said that this is a three to six week injury, LeBron will be reevaluated at the three week mark, right? I think it would have better set expectations with fans. And I also think that it would have just given us a better sense of the trajectory of the team over that time. So I just wanted to get that out of the way first. In terms of the actual news, I actually don't expect LeBron to play another game for about another two weeks, I would say. Mm -hmm. The whole like he'll be cleared for practice next week, that in itself is sort of vague language that the Lakers released, like cleared for practice how? Like like full clearance? Like Lonzo was cleared for practice at the end of training camp, if you remember. And he wasn't practicing, and he was practicing but being held out of certain portions. He then wasn't available to play, right? And, And so there are levels in order for a player to get back into being ready to play. And this release by the Lakers leads me to believe that we're actually still a little ways off or longer ways off than what a release like, oh, he'll be cleared for practice next week would actually imply. Right. Yeah. The way the Lakers do it, and I don't know if it being LeBron and him being kind of different in a lot of ways and having the power that he has and all that, if that changes anything, but the way the Lakers typically do it is they have a checklist and a progression that they go through. So it's like, it's individual work and then it's like one-on-one three-on-three five-on-five and then cleared for full games and then and in between each of those stages you know they want to evaluate the next day how did they handle that individual work that one-on-one work that three-on-three work to see where they're at and not push them past that stage until certain objective markers are cleared in that respect can you change directions do you have range of motion things like that i'm you know obviously i have no medical background but that's my understanding of how that works so being cleared to return to practice probably means the entry level point of doing individual work on his own and then moving on to that one-on-one three-on-three five-on-five etc so that's probably where we're at although that's certainly speculative by me the lakers as it stands now have gone four and seven in the 11 games of without him and have a tough three game stretch going up along with really a tough month ahead of them overall with they've they're at Oklahoma City at Houston and then home against the Warriors in a game that DeMarcus Cousins should be making his debut Darius what have we learned about this Lakers team over the course of LeBron being out a few things I think first of all like I think that the individual players, the young players for the Lakers, I think we've learned that they're not quite at the level in which they can be difference makers in wins without, like, consistent difference makers in wins without another, like, high-level caliber player who's actually better than them to sort of lean on. They're being asked to do a lot right now, and as it is with a lot of young players, they are successful sometimes, and sometimes they're just not. And this is where I think being a fan of one specific team sort of influences a fan's perception of a player more negatively than positively. So unless you're like a league pass junkie 
or you're an analysis who watches tons of games like a Zach Lowe type or someone like that, right, who is paid to basically watch basketball for a living and, and then provide analysis. I think most fans only get like snippets or highlights of Very what so, yeah. other like young players play and like how well they're doing. And so like, oh my goodness, like look at Luka Doncic or, oh man, De'Aaron Fox, right? And that's not to speak down on those guys. Those guys are playing, I think, really good basketball this season and they've deserved a lot of the accolades that they've gotten for Doncic as a rookie and De'Aaron Fox as a second year player who's really taken a big step forward. But the Lakers get attention at a whole nother level. And so I think nationally fans of teams get both the good and the bad of the Lakers and Lakers fans who are watching every game certainly get the good and the bad of all of the young players. And I think over this stretch, while LeBron has been out a four and seven record losses to the Cavs, losses to the Knicks, really tough stretches in and extended stretches in a lot of the other games We've seen our fair amount of bad, and I think that that's sort of hung with fans. I know it's hung with me, has hung with you in like a similar way where do you feel any more down on them? I I don't, but I think that the weaknesses on this team, both in terms of the players and the coaching staff, show up in one place in particular, and it's probably the most important place from a team perspective is that none of those guys can carry the game as individual on-ball scorers. You can't give the ball to any of them and have them like take over a game as a scorer with the ball in their hands. Kuzma had that huge game against Detroit where he scored a career-high 41 points, but he did it without using a single isolation or post-up possession. So almost all of it is off of the ball. and Very Clay Thompson-esque. Right, right. And that's great. It's great to have that. I think that like Lonzo Ball and Brandon Ingram are two of the best defensive players amongst young guys, like defensive players under 25 in the whole NBA, right? That's not something that we frame it quite that way. But if you were to go through all of the players under 25, they would rank very highly if you were just going by defense. And obviously Lonzo has passing ability, but none of them are guys that you can give the ball to and be like, be a scorer and then be a scorer and then distribute out of that once you get that second guy that goes to you, right? Brandon's obviously the closest of all of them, but he's not a guy that's going to like really light it up as as a scorer. So on top of that, and this is what I wanted to ask you, I am very frustrated with the half-court offense. I'm working on a video on what's wrong with it, and maybe being in that space and and seeing the tape and and viewing it through that lens makes me more frustrated. Maybe I'm, you know, it's a forest from the trees situation. How long's the video? Is it like an hour? Oh, bro, it's. I was like, I'm gonna have this out tonight or this afternoon, and then I was like, oh Jesus, and like I'm approaching it from from a like roster construction standpoint, a coaching standpoint the players, and then how other teams react in similar types of situations. With LeBron being out, and Rondo too, to a lesser extent, it has really shown a light on this team was built to operate as a way of orbiting around those guys. And in their absence, there's no structure or very little poor structure in place to work off of in their absence. They're basically saying... Kuz, we need you to be a LeBron substitute. Brandon, we need you to be a LeBron substitute. It's a little bit different with Lonzo because he's 
so different stylistically as a scorer, which is to say that he's nowhere near as good as LeBron, right? He's not that type of threat. He can be a Rondo facility, though. That's like, true. Like that at that true. level, right? Like, and, and and honestly, man, I think the offense is run best when Lonzo has been the guy that's controlled the action. So my, my question to you is, is from what you're watching, do you share frustrations that I have in terms of the half-court offense? And just what, what are you seeing in general in that aspect of the game? Yes, I do share your frustrations. Against the Bulls, I had said on Twitter that... I would love to ask Luke Walton if he feels like he should be taking more control from the sidelines of in terms of play calling. Now, the Lakers don't necessarily run like a ton of plays per se. And I think Luke's philosophy is more like he's not running the triangle offense, but he very much wants to run like sort of like read, like read and react and and, and flow He's got principles and he has like sort sort of basic initiations that are supposed to get players into specific parts of the floor. But the Lakers have not been running a lot of plays. They've been actually running way more pick and roll and isolation, like mismatch basketball against the Bulls. And this is going to sound bad and I'm sure my Twitter mentions are going to be nice and happy. They will suffer. After yes. this. But in the first half against the Bulls, some of the stuff the Lakers were doing reminded me of what Mark Jackson ran with the Warriors. Bro, this is 100%. So a bit, bit of a spoiler on the video. The Lakers seeking out isolation mismatches and putting four dudes on the other end of the court while Brandon or Kuz isolates against a guard that got From the mid post. them. Jesus Christ, man. It's like... It's such a 90s, 80s, and 90s approach to basketball. And the reason that worked in those times, and while the 90s were not a particularly high-scoring time for much of them, the illegal defense rules were different. You had to be within arm's length of your men. So you could stand behind the three-point line on the weak side, and even if you couldn't shoot worth a crap, the defender still had to be relatively close to that guy. And that's just not what this the game is today. That's why the post-up game is gone away for the most part um there are other ways of using the post mainly as for a passing hub um but the lakers are putting those dudes in the mid post and be like score on these guys without any action being involved we're just going to clear out a side like it's 1997 and it drives me crazy well i would say this too even one thing i've noticed in terms of the off-ball action and so we complain a lot about there not being a lot of off-ball action and it's true there's not a lot of off-ball action what I will say, though, is that when players do move on the weak side, they don't move with much purpose, and they don't move with much idea of how it's actually going to impact the defense in order to open things up for someone else, right? And and so if you watch like a really, we keep going back to the Warriors or even the Spurs, but and you and I had had sort of an exchange about this online earlier, but like the sort of fill and replace action that the Lakers should have built into part of their system, like the players don't read that very well. And they also, not only do they not read, will read it very well as individuals, they don't work well in pairs in order to actually like help each other 
in those situations. And so can, can you explain a little further, Darius, on what you mean by working in pairs, like how they should be working in pairs to help each other? Yeah. So I'm going to make sort of a football analogy here. And so, and it's the NFL playoffs after all. So let's talk a little football on our NBA podcast. But in the NFL, they have something called like option routes, right? Where it's like, you call an option route and the receiver and the quarterback are supposed to be on the same page, right? And so based off of what the receiver is seeing and based off what the quarterback is seeing, it's going to dictate what route the wide receiver runs. And so like, oh, the safety is playing here. So I'm going to run 15 yard in route, or I'm going to run a fade, or I'm going to run a, or I'm going to run a dig or a stop route or something like that. In the NBA, when you're on the weak side and there's supposed to be some sort of weak side action going on that's not really scripted but within the context of what your offensive principles are in terms of spacing and player positioning there are things that you can do off of the ball to help each other yes move into these spaces in order to open up passing lanes and free each other up in order to not only be open, but be effectively open and be put in a position where you're a threat to score. You can set a flare screen. You can do exchanges on well, on the weak side, just straight exchanges without screens. Like if there's a guy standing in the corner and a guy standing up about 10 or 15 feet above him, like above the arc, like on the shoulder area, one of those guys can set a pin down or the guy who's in the corner can come and set a back screen. There's yeah, just there a lot of, of interchange. Interchangeable. There, there's just interchange options that exist for. That's just playing basketball. If you've played any sort of pickup basketball, like these are things that you've probably done yourself, just to sort of avoid just standing in the same place for you know ten or fifteen seconds at a time. And the Lakers don't work together very well in that, unless it's actually scripted action. And this is where I think frustration tends to, I think, go towards Luke Walton, which I Mm -hmm. think is fair on a lot of levels. I have a certain amount of frustration with the players in this as well, just in terms of, like, just do more. Like, work it out yourselves, too. And and I don't know where the blame should be, but but I think there's, if not equal amounts... There should be some, there's enough to spread around is what I'm saying. To me, it's it's sort of a chicken or the egg thing. And it's a self-fulfilling prophecy in that when the designed actions aren't very good, one of my complaints is that there's like cluttered design in that they will bring an extra body either into the paint or into a cutting lane or into a like a pick and roll lane, right? Where one of the things they do is they'll put the big man in the dunker spot on the strong side when a guy comes around the screen. So say Brandon's coming off of a screen. Now he already doesn't have the spacing of a pick and pop big. And then, you know, the Lakers want to fill the dunker spot, which is in between the three point line and the lane line, right? So like halfway between. And you're bringing two extra bodies by doing that, by putting those guys on the strong side. So when Brandon comes around that screen, even if he could get all the way to the rim, there's another help defender there along with a guy who he could dump it off to. But that guy's not always a big for one. And I'm of the opinion that it's better to have guys on the weak side dunker spot so that that's a natural dump off pass to that guy. If Brandon gets to the rack, he's already in his field of vision rather than passing it to the guy that's 
kind of right next to you as you drive to the basket. So there are areas where the design is cluttered enough to where guys, when they run hard through it, they still don't get a ton of open looks that are created through the system. And as that happens, guys don't set screens as hard. They don't run as hard off of the screens. They don't cut as hard because it's like, why am I going to, you know, go all out on this when I know I'm not going to get open anyway, or I'm not going to get a teammate open anyway. So it kind of, it's this vicious cycle that kind of builds on itself by my observation, at least where like the design isn't good and the players aren't executing it well. And so that makes the design look even worse than it was in the first place. No. And all of that makes sense. The other thing that I see when I'm watching the Lakers half-court offense especially is that there are sort of natural reads that need to be a little bit faster. And I had mentioned this to you earlier as well, that the Lakers, the guy with the ball on the Lakers does a lot of waving to players. Oh, man. Like Like, half of the guys know what they're doing and half of them don't. So you'll see a lot of times... Ingram will be at the top of the key and he wants to do something with the ball. And he oftentimes will wave the wing or guard who's on the same side of the floor with him to basically run baseline and basically clear the floor, like get the hell out of there. Every team waves up the big man to come and set a pick. So that's not the waving action I'm talking about. I'm talking about... You're clearing out a side, basically. Yes, I'm talking about when... So there was a play, and I was describing it to you earlier, but there was a play where I think Lance Stevenson had the ball at the top of the key. Lonzo had run, I don't know if it was like the zipper action or whatever, but he had come up maybe off of a pin down to come get the ball off of a screen, and he had he was coming towards Lance to get the ball, like sort of up the lane line area and out to the three-point line. Now, Lonzo was open for probably about, a half a second to a second, which is basically open in the yeah NBA. in the NBA. That's 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 open. <laughs> that's open. Like a half a second is is open. Lance, the guy with the ball, needs to read the fact that Lonzo has a step or a step and a half on his man in about a half a second or so. Step advantage is going to go away. <laughs> like that's just how the NBA is. And so Lance either needs to pass Lonzo the ball. Well, no. Not either. Lance needs to pass Lonzo the ball. Thank you. Lance did not pass Lonzo the ball. So Lonzo came up and he looked, honestly, I don't know if I read his body language correctly or not, but he looked like a little bit like, damn it, I should have gotten the ball. And he sort of like shrugged his shoulders a little bit. And Lance waved him off. He waved him the cut back door again and basically like get it out of there. And so Lonzo did do the flea. And then Lance dribbled the ball. To where Lonzo would have caught it if he had passed it. And then he, I think he dumped it into Kuzma. And then Lance sort of faded back towards the top of the key area. And Kuzma isolated from the mid-wing in a similar manner uh, to what we were discussing earlier. A few things, man. There's so much backpedaling. Like, you should almost never, in a half-court situation, be backing up to get to the next spot. And we were talking earlier about the read and react and type of principles that... The Lakers run their after timeout plays pretty well. Yes. They I like they their, their I like their I ATOs. Do too. I like their I ATOs. I do too. And it's the most organized action that you see from them. And I think they're pretty good. Their sets 
which are like when it's five on five, but it, you haven't had a whole timeout to talk about it, right? Say the ball gets knocked out of bounds and you've got the ball, the defense is set, but you didn't just talk for the last minute and a half about what you're about to run. They are well below average in that like there's an initial action. If that doesn't work, I call them now what's and they don't really go into the second option very often. They're playing by principle, which is when, say, you get a defensive rebound and you're looking to attack early. You're not calling set plays most of the time, or, or, or very rarely, in fact, when you do that, are absolutely awful. And a lot of that comes from the read and react. You know, if you have any any familiarity with the motion offense, it's pass, cut, replace is really the basic concept of that, right? Which means that you pass the ball, you cut through. And then you replace an open spot. You've got these different designated areas that you can go to on the floor. And then somebody fills the spot that you just vacated. That is what creates the motion in a very basic sense. Watch the Spurs play. The Spurs are a perfect example. It's like they obviously run more complicated stuff than that. But their principles are pass, cut, replace. Right? Absolutely. And, And that's the foundation of a motion offense. You probably have 12 to 15 basic rules of motion offense some of the most important of which are your dribble penetration principles i could rant about this for an entire hour and i'm not going to do it but like one of the things is if you're strong side corner you you hold your spot if you're weak side corner so for example say brandon's running a high ball screen out of a horn set right a guy comes up to javel comes up to set the screen he's got kcp in the strong side corner right meaning that the direction that he's driving KCP should stop, should stay where he is, hold his position. Or you can always back cut to the basket, right? Then the weak side corner guy, if you're in that position, say that's Josh Hart, he needs to kick up. So he needs to go from the corner to the wing. The reason for that is as that happens, that is the skip pass window. So that's just one of several different dribble penetration principles. But the point is that there are a bunch of if-then scenarios, right? If I drive toward you and you're in the corner, you stay. If I drive away from you and you're in the corner, you kick up a position. There are, you know, dozen to 15 of those type of things that they run so poorly that it's like high school level understanding of these type of principles. And they are... To me, they are universal basketball language and action, and they're just so bad at them, they drive me crazy. Everything that you were describing right there also reminds me of, like, how the Warriors play, right? And so, and we keep talking about, like, oh, these, like, elite offenses, right, coached by really good coaches, but there's a reason why they're elite offenses, and they're a reason why we consider them, like, really good coaches, right? Darius, what are, what are we trying to do in the next couple of years? We're trying to win a title. So you, we have to compete with the elite offenses. Denver does this stuff, too. Milwaukee does this stuff. The Spurs, like, they're, it's hardly this— like. We probably use the the Warriors as an example too often because, yeah. well, of course, they're a dynasty. They've got all this talent. No, it's not just these like absolute dynastic teams that do this. I'm sorry, I'm sorry to cut you off, but it, no, like, I think if the, the Net- Lakers want to get good, they got to do it. No, I think the Nets do this stuff well too. Yeah, perfect example. Yes. Instead of talking more about this, I'm going to ask you a question. What players on on the roster right now do you think actually do the stuff that you're frustrated about at a team level? actually do it well enough at this stage where you think that they can actually continue to improve at a level where you think, oh, in like next season, you're going to see even more of it where you're like, oh yeah, like, like they got it. That is a great question. And I will answer that after a word from our sponsors. You ready for this Darius? I'm 
been nervous about this all day. Like the rest of us, you probably made a New Year's resolution, and if you're planning to eat better, exercise more, be more patient, kinder, and all that, it all starts with a good night's rest. Go to MyPillow.com and click on the four-pack special and enter the promo code COZY, and you'll get two premium MyPillows and two go-anywhere pillows. It's amazing what a difference a great pillow makes. If you go to MyPillow.com right now and click on their four-pack, shipping is absolutely free, and don't forget about their 60-day money-back guarantee. There's nothing better than the gift of restorative sleep. Go to MyPillow.com, click on the four-pack special, and use my code COZY to get two premium pillows and two go-anywhere pillows. MyPillow.com or call 800-966-1472. And remember, my promo code can be used for any offer on MyPillow.com. Again, that's promo code COZY. I've heard Darius excited twice, and in order, in a very distant second, it was when the Lakers signed LeBron James, and first place by a mile was when he learned that they were going to be sending him a MyPillow to use for himself. So Darius is a big fan of free stuff. So, I'm also yeah. a fan of MyPillow. So, you know, I can't wait to get <laughs> MyPillow. Yes. All right. And then secondly, you've heard plenty of stories about drug cartels. They're all over the news. But there's a crime ring you've probably never heard of that's one of the most dangerous in the world. They're the Mennonite mob. You heard right, the Mennonites. 99% of them are kind, God-fearing people, but there's one group that smuggled millions of dollars in narcotics from Mexico to Canada. Wednesdays, starting January 23rd at 9, 10 Central, WGN America presents a new TV series, Pure, based on the true events of the Mennonite mob. The show is about Noah Funk, the newly elected Mennonite pastor who's determined to rid his community of the drug cartel. But he finds himself in over his head, and the good pastor, along with his wife, will do some very bad things all in the name of protecting their family. Think of Pure as Breaking Bad meets Witness meets Narcos. Get hooked on Pure, Wednesdays starting January 23rd at 10, 9 Central, only on WGN America. WGN America is available on DirecTV, Channel 307, Dish Channel 239, or check your local cable listings for the channel in your area. So you asked me, Darius, who are the guys that I think are close on the right track to be able to play that sort of pass cut replace whipping the ball around type of style yeah like read and um, react right read like, and react like and not only just read and react but sort of have that general feel for like oh like here i am standing on like the weak side like maybe i should set this flare screen or maybe i should slide up here in order to open up this or even simple things like this guy is driving baseline and I'm up high on the wing opposite and now I need to drop to the level of the ball. So we're talking strictly style of play type of guys, not necessarily how good they are. Lonzo is the closest of the young guys. I think Sfi actually is a guy who can play that style. JaVale and Tyson Chandler can fit into that. Kuz has that, but will break that to ISO in the mid post when he has a, a mismatch. Like, I, I think Kuz could do that. And even then, man, I'm being generous. Josh is probably ahead of him in that. Really, there's only a couple of guys. And really, that's never been how LeBron has played. Is this even like what I'm frustrated about? It is, is it even a realistic thing to think that a LeBron James team can play that way? I think around LeBron, sure. I, so here's the thing is that. LeBron can be successful doing anything. We've said this before. We also know that LeBron isn't going to change so, so much. I think that system-wise, I'm not exactly sure how much you're going to tweak a system around LeBron. I think 
what's most important is continuing to find the proper fitting players around LeBron, and then you can mold sort of hybrid style stuff around LeBron in order to make it work. That's a long way of saying that I think these things are tied together some. You just rattled off, you know, three players basically, and then two big men. The big men, I feel like, they're not as important. Are not as important dynamic. at all, and yeah, are like, yeah. like I think with big men, you're really looking at very specific skill sets in terms of screen, roll, some lob ability, a general feel for relocating, right in a phone booth, right. So like in between the dunker spots on either baseline and an ability to sort of drift underneath the rim and inside the painted area and around that area for like, you know, four or five feet in either direction to make themselves available for lobs and dump off passes. So whatever, (laughs) right? Like you can find those guys. I'm not worried about that. Both the Lakers starting centers are basically minimum contract guys. And their third string center is a guy, Zubots, who has played well in stretches this year. And he was a second round pick. I'm not super worried about who the Lakers have at center. I'm more concerned about what that player's skill set is, especially if they're going to be able to defend at a reasonable level. I'm talking about wings, and I'm talking about who your power forward is and whether or not these guys are viable options. And look... So we're talking Kuz and Ingram. Like, let's not beat around the bush in terms of we are. the guys who are We are talking here. about Kuzma and Ingram. And I love both these guys. I've talked up Ingram a ton and I'm going to continue to talk up Ingram whether he's on the Lakers or not so everyone should just get used to it I'm sure they are by (laughs) now but like if they're not catch up this is what it's going to be that said both Kuzma and Ingram frustrate me in real ways and in different ways Kuz is killing me right now he's been killing me for like a while I really like Kuzma he is not adjusted to what his level of play and what his strengths are this year and that level of sort of I don't even know the right word to call it It, it's like obliviousness I feel Mm -hmm. like to what to how he should be playing versus what he's actually doing is in this stretch that LeBron's been out is pretty amazing to me I tweeted this during the Bulls game, but heading into the Bulls game, I think Kuzma had missed a couple of games, like maybe with his back. I think he'd either played in eight or nine of the 10 games before the Bulls game that LeBron had missed. And Kuzma had taken 74 threes heading into the Bulls game during that stretch, and he was only hitting 25.5% of them. 74 threes, man. During that time period that LeBron was out. And he was gunning away still in the Bulls game. I think in the first half or the first three, well, what, three quarters, he was 0 for 4 again. And he's been averaging three, well, well, three turnovers a game. And totally, like, nonchalant about, like, oh, I just turned the ball over again. And he tried that BS wraparound pass in the Bulls game. Yeah. Yeah. He's been drawing charges like crazy and someone told me oh well that's just like randall did last year yeah well i felt like at least randall's charges served a purpose 
when Randall bowled you over, I think he bowled you over to the point that you kind of didn't want to get in his way the next time. Like, right. guys are totally happy letting coups sort of euro step right into their chest and then fall over and happily take a charge and go the other direction. And you, it's also Randall got a lot better at that, too, right? And it, maybe it was in his last year, and this is just a second-year issue with coups. But those things, I see them, too. And here's an interesting stat. He's shooting six threes per game. There have only been five guys in NBA history or five seasons in NBA history because White Chocolate, Jason Williams, did it twice where a guy shot six or more threes per game but under 30%. And Kyle Kuzma is having one of those years right now. He's down at he's at 29-point-something percent uh, shooting six threes per game. And then when you combine that with the, like, running into guys or, you know, and it's like he tries to go one on four. And there was one play in the game against the Bulls where Svee was wide open to his right and Lonzo was wide open to his left. And he just decided to drive into those four guys as well. The thing about this, it's so it's I'm irritated at Kuz, but I also feel like there's a theme when you zoom out a little bit of that we can tie the first part of the offense with this which is kind of a mentality thing and it's also something we've talked about a lot with Ingram right of him how he sees himself and obviously there's it's more subjective we can't point to objective evidence but there's a lot of evidence with both of those guys of them forcing the issue and the common theme of both that and the offensive issues is a lack of structure right is there anybody enforcing to Kuzma other than like wagging their finger at him saying you better do not do that again actually like no, you are making the same mistake over and over again. Is the organization, the coaching staff, all of that, are they being proactive in fixing it? And in doing that, I think you have to have, there has to be punishment, right? Like, yeah. you're doing this, like, I know we're shorthanded right now, but like, in terms of long-term development, and I don't know, maybe LeBron keeps him in line. I, I remember less of this BS with LeBron being out. Sure. Because LeBron, I, and, and honestly, th I guess that gets to my point, is like LeBron is the guy that keeps everybody in check in a lot of ways. Well, in two ways. A, because he's the leader. And B, he takes some of these chances off of the table for them because of his usage. Right, right. Right? And, and so one of the things that's going on with the Lakers right now, and we alluded to it earlier, is all of these guys are being asked and not even just being being asked they're being put in position where they just have to try to do more and i think one of the things that we're seeing is a they're not ready to actually do more at this level and b i think which ties into a is that part of the reason i think that they're not being successful at this is that they're sort of trying a bit too hard if that makes mm -hmm. sense you you know and so a they're not only being put in positions where they're not quite ready but b they seem a little bit i don't want to say anxious may not be the right exact word but just a little bit like they're really trying to get it after it and it ends up that they're forcing the issue right like the very best players in the game one of the things they love to say is, oh, well, I just let the game come to me. Yep. Meanwhile, those guys look like they're taking it to you all of the time, mm -hmm. right? 
but part of it's they they understand the if thens both in an offensive structure and then in terms of individual matchups. If your lead foot is too high, I'm gonna attack you that way, right? Like yes. there's a science, there's a there's a, a beauty to the knowledge that's gained to where like they know how to pick you apart. So it's not hard for them, right? Like everything is so hard for our young guys, man. Well, that's the thing too. And and, and so look, we talk about coaching a lot, but coaching is it's all encompassing. So everything that we're talking about, it like you can say like, oh, well, that's a coaching failure. The offense looks like trash. Or, oh, that's a coaching failure. The players aren't being developed. Or, oh, that's a coaching failure because of this or that or whatever. And I think on some levels, there's some truth in that. I also think, too, that the roster construction, like you're talking no, about totally. earlier, I think this was a great point. You said, look, like, what's the punishment for some of this? And there really isn't any because Mm -hmm. the best punishment there is, is we'll go sit down. Mm -hmm. Like, right? Like, this other guy is coming in for you. Who is the other player right now, or not even right now, just in general, who are the players that you say, okay, we're sitting Kuzma down and we're going to play you instead. That player's who? Michael Beasley? Yeah, in in, in a lot of situations. And now he does dumb stuff too, right? Yeah. Like he, and, like but, he forces it a lot less than... Kuzma and he does. probably should be playing a little bit more and probably should steal some of Kuz's minutes, especially during this stretch, and especially when LeBron comes back, if Kuz sort of keeps this up after LeBron comes back. I have a feeling that when LeBron comes back... Everyone will be slotted more appropriately and their games will return to a more normal fashion, right? Who should play more instead of Brandon Ingram? Lance Stevenson? I feel like Brandon, I feel like Brandon's been better lately with the like forcing things. It's not like, it's more, he's not in a role that he should be in. Like, I feel like with Brandon, with Brandon, it's less, it's more of a coaching issue. And with Kuzma, it's more of a Kuzma issue. Right. Yeah. And so like, I'm not as upset with Brandon. The one thing I will say is like, I'd like to see Sfi get more minutes. I know he's my guy and he can be inconsistent. He's a rookie and all that. This team, you talked about roster construction. The team is so bad at shooting. Like they need a guy who can at least be a threat. Like you have to guard Sfi. I feel like even at this point in time, defenses are treating him a certain way they are they already are because they know they know that he's capable of doing that they guard him coming off of screens in a way they don't defend anyone else with the exception of kcp and like i i think speed needs to get more minutes i'd like to see wagner get some time and maybe that's me being foolish because i know there are defensive issues and all that but like god would a pick and pop big really open some things up and i think lessen some of our frustrations with the you know, number two picks and coups and all of that, like the spacing so bad, like it's every level, right? It's the roster construction, the coaching and player decisions. But there are a couple of guys I'd like to see get more. Hell, even KCP, I I think there's nights where he gets 20, 22 minutes. And with this roster and with the shooting, especially with the injuries with LeBron and Rondo, like he needs to be a 35 minute per night guy. I know he's not the sexiest pick of all of the guys but he needs to play well 28 to 32 i think right and and that's the thing is so there there's a very the other thing is too is 
like what we discussed on the last pod is that we can call for all of this stuff. The fact of the matter is, is that the players who are in the lineup now who are supposed to be sort of core six or seven players on the team, they're not playing to their strengths consistently. And even when they are playing to their strengths, those strengths aren't showing up in a consistent manner. And, and so everyone's numbers are just horribly down since LeBron went out, except for like Lonzo, basically. Right, in, Lon- in, in terms of like efficiency and things. Yeah, like that, efficiency right? and like three-point shooting. Everyone's numbers, they're all suffering. Kuz's are down. Josh Hart's numbers are down. They're just not playing well enough consistently. And that starts to lead to, okay, well some searching by the coaching staff, like, let's try this lineup. Let's try that lineup. Let's throw Svi out there for, you 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 know, a four or six-minute stretch it and see if he can do something. Oh, well, he didn't really make an impact, so now he's not going to get a second shift. And there's a lot of scrambling that goes down, and then it just ends up maybe you lose, you lose the game, and now it's just more frustration. And I don't want things to spiral down in this super negative way where I feel like there's no coming out from that. I wrote a piece the other day saying, you know, the Lakers are terrible and they're also not as bad as we think they are. And there's one of the things that I've always talked to you about is about like the proper slotting of players and making sure that they are put in not only positions to succeed schematically, but put in positions to succeed in terms of how big their role is and what they're being asked to do within the context of that role. And with LeBron out, everyone has sort of been shifted up a role. Just like you were saying, like Ingram's being told, like, be more like LeBron, basically. And Kuzma is being asked to sort of be the same way. Take on more of a primary scoring role. The only player who I feel like has actually taken on the role that is a little bit bigger than him and actually looked adequate at it is Lonzo. Mm-hmm. Now, the scoring is up, the three-point shoe shooting percentage is up, but I've been more impressed with like the aggressiveness with him picking his yeah. spots a little bit yeah. better in terms of taking the shots that need to be taken as a driver, right? Like, you know, it's funny because Lonzo Lonzo has no swag when it comes to like how he's sort of attacking the basket. <laughs> if, if we could like exchange some of what Kuzma has and put it in Lonzo's mind, like that over <laughs> that obliviousness and that uh, irrational confidence that Kuz can have and put just some of that in Lonzo, both of them would be much better for it. Well, I would also say too that like, lo- like what makes me laugh about Lonzo is that he does some things out on the court and they're just super like like rudimentary. <laughs> so, you know, very basic crossovers, yeah. a, like a, like attacking the basket and for real shoe shooting like a six foot running bank that is almost like it like just over overhand. Yes. <laughs> right. Like it just looks sort of like funny to me and it, it's it's effective. Like, this is where the comps to, like, Jason Kidd actually sort of ring true to me. Like, Kidd definitely had some sauce in in his game, so so I don't want to, to, to sort of, like, disparage him with this. But 
Kid was also just sort of just like, I'm going to get from point A to point B, and then I'm just going to do the thing that's right in front of me. Like, I'm not going to always, you know, like, on one end of the spectrum is sort of like Jason Kidd, or not all the way at that end, but like in that direction. And then on the other end is like a guy like Kyrie Irving, you know, where all the spin and the pizzazz and like, oh, the English off of the glass and underhand finishes, reverse scoop shots, all... All of that stuff is in a guy like Kyrie's bag. And Lonzo doesn't have a bag. They say, right, right there's that saying like, oh, so-and-so is in his bag tonight. Well, Lonzo do- doesn't have a bag. He just right. shows you what he has every single time. And I've actually been happy to see him sort of be more assertive and get in more pick-and-roll actions. I actually think that all those fourth-quarter possessions where it's just sort of Brandon standing at the top of the key and pounding the air out of the ball, I would give half those possessions to Lonzo and basically just say, like, run something or get the team organized into an action where you can actually try to at least get something going. Brandon's not a point guard. Like, it's not even, like, a Brandon issue, right? Like, like he's a wing that has ball handling and passing ability that is not the same thing as a point guard. It's not even his fault, right? Uh continue like it just like I feel like we're putting Brandon in a position to fail or not be optimized and then being like what's wrong with you why aren't you playing better and he's actually been playing pretty well in my opinion the last few games but anyhow I I digress please continue I will say this too just so I can offer a little bit of both sides to this I'm all for putting a player in positions to be optimized and, and succeed all of the time and I think that like the best versions, the best outcomes of that, I think, are two players who are playing like an MVP level caliber this year in Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. Like, they were brought along at a pace in their development where they were not asked to do too much sure. early on. And I think that their game, their respective games, grew organically and in a way where by year three, four, and five, they actually sort of came out of nowhere, so to speak, because they grew into the role, like, ultimately, that the team wanted them to grow in, well, well, into, but they didn't put them in those roles very early. The Lakers are very much taking the opposite approach with Ingram. They are throwing him into the fire, or the deep end of the pool, or whatever phrase you want to use, and are willing to sort of let him take his lumps now with the hope that these are actually learning and teaching moments and experiences that he can take with him and then use that knowledge learned to be better off for it. And so there are definitely like two schools of thought here. The Lakers are using this one and we're gonna see if this ends up working and in the interim i think we complain that he's not being used correctly he is not being optimized and i think that that's true i also think the lakers are trying to play the long game in this very specific way and i think in order to judge what it's actually going to be in the long term, we actually need to see the long term and not say 
he is not that. He's not that now. That's not what, that's not to say that he will never be that, right? And those are two different things. Is it better to do it the other way? Maybe. One last thing. Let's bring it back to LeBron and his absence. The Lakers predictably have slid down the standings as LeBron's been out. We don't have, you know, any definitive return date. Um, At what point does this become a, oh crap, there's a good chance they miss the playoffs? Oh, not until they're like 500 or under. And also to me, it's like, it's a matter of losing contact, right? It's not your record. It's what your record is relation to the other, like seeing the Clippers sliding has been great because they're the one team in the top. Like I I thought Utah underperformed. Like they were going to get into the top eight. Houston on Houston was on underperforming. Right. And now, and now on a certain level, they're overperforming. Right. And the Clippers are the one team in the top eight currently that you have kind of circled. Like, yeah, they are, they are gettable. And then the seeding after that, you know, becomes, you know, that, that matters, but just getting in the playoffs, obviously that's the first step to that. So the Lakers, as uh, we record this, are six and a half games out of the one seed, a half game out behind the Utah Jazz, who beat the Clippers in tonight when we record. Clippers have lost four straight. They're now the seventh seed, so they're actually tied with Utah, but percentage points ahead of Utah. So I, I guess, like... The Lakers right now are two games back in the loss column of the fourth seed. So yeah, which is crazy. This is yeah. where I, this is how I prefer to look at the standings is, sure. is, you know, yeah, they're six and a half back of Volvo of the top seed, or they're a half a game out of the playoffs. Sure. They're two back in the loss column from the fourth seed blazers, right? It looks to me, if things hold OKC Denver, and the Warriors are a step above everyone. Houston is hard charging with James Harden playing incredible. But the Lakers are only two back of the fourth seed. It looks like OKC, Denver, and Golden State, if things hold, will sort of like separate themselves from the rest of the pack. And seeds four through ten or so are going to be the ones that are really jockeying for the playoffs. And as long as the Lakers are in that one or two games out of like the seventh seed or sixth seed, I'm going to be totally fine. As long as LeBron comes back and like everything is reasonably fine. Yeah, they've got a tough month ahead of them, um, but... I think that LeBron is close enough at this point to where they're not going to lose. They're not going to get separated too much from the top eight seeds. I do expect them to fall out of the top eight during this time, but you know, LeBron comes back they're two, three games out of the eight seed Lakers should be fine. I'm a big believer in the fact that LeBron has a lot of extra gears to access. So on that note, I think we'll wrap it up. Grab yourself a MyPillow. Use the promo code COZY. Check out Pure. There's a great trailer for it on YouTube. And you've been listening to the Laker Film Room Podcast. We will catch you guys next time. Just give me a chance to think. It takes <laughs> me a little while to get wound up. I know it does take you a while to think. Rebound to Vladi. Nice rebound to Vladi. Oh, magic ahead. Go to face. Goes under and scores. Whoop! Passing ovation. Listen to the crowd. 
I think that is a cosmetic call, baby. Okay, kid, you're all right in my book. <laughs> Will you get these idiots out of here? Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.